Hey listeners, just a quick note before we start. You've probably noticed that BetaCell doesn't have sponsors like some of the other podcasts you listen to. Now, the main reason for that is that I've always wanted BetaCell to be unbiased. I don't want to worry about saying something bad about a diabetes company, even if it's true, because I'm worried about them not sponsoring the show anymore. So instead, I rely on the support of listeners like you. We have two options if you want to help support the show. The first one is easy. Just buy me a coffee. Really, I'm not making that up. Go to our website and pick a drink to send, or two, or three. But if you're the kind of person who wants to financially support the show automatically every month, you can join our fan club. And as a thank you, you'll get an extra podcast episode every month that's only available to fan club members. There's a link on the website for that too. But even if you don't do either of those, I want you to know that just by listening to the podcast, you're helping us grow. If you enjoy this episode, please share it with someone else. Thanks. Like most of you right now, I've been staying at home during the COVID-19 pandemic. And what I found is that in my downtime, which there's a lot of lately, I'm reaching out to friends who have type 1, checking up on them, making sure they're feeling okay, that they have food, insulin, and toilet paper, but also just to say hi, to commiserate in this experience and just catch up, which I'm realizing I don't do nearly enough. And that's kind of the point of the show, the threes, to check in with the people in our lives who are affected by us having type one, to not make the disease so much me, 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 but to realize that those close to us deal with it in some way too. For a lot of people, that's their parents who spent their childhoods testing blood sugars, giving shots, driving to and from doctor's offices and pharmacies, calling insurance companies on their lunch breaks, and constantly worrying if their kids were going to be okay. But your significant other, your close friends, roommates, coworkers, all experience your literal highs and lows too. They're there when you need fruit snacks, when you're frustrated and need to vent, and also just to act like you're normal, to remind you that you are more than just diabetes. For Roz, she thought of her coach, Steve. Now, it makes sense that when doing any sort of physical activity, you'd want the people around you to know that you have type 1. If you go low and need a break, or in the worst case, you pass out and have to give you a shot of glucagon. But after years of training Roz, Steve has learned a lot more about diabetes than just when to pull out that big needle. From Beta Cell, this is The Threes. So I'm Roz Such, and I'm a type 1 diabetic for 23 and a half years, and I'm here with my coach. Hello, I'm Steve Cornelli, and I'm a type 3 diabetic, <laughs> and I've been Roz's coach for about eight years now, I think. Eight years? I think you're exaggerating. It's six, I think. Six? Yeah. Okay. 
but it feels like a hundred. Uh-huh. <laughs> that may be the problem. <laughs> I thought it would be interesting to do the threes with you, Steve, because a lot of the other relationships were like husband and, or other spouses and good friends. And though we are friends, I thought our relationship as coach and athlete would be interesting for um, the threes. So I was thinking about the fact that the first day we trained together, I probably told you I was type one for, for a safety reason. And I was curious as to what you thought when I told you that. Um, yeah, I'm sure that you did. I don't remember that like off the top of my head, but um, I bet you my thought going through my head was, oh, I know someone else who has type one. <laughs> I can relate to uh, this new client of mine that way. Uh, my sister is a type one diabetic. So that was probably what went through my head. It was like, oh, I know something about type one. Um, and then I probably just kept asking you like if everything was all right, if you felt okay doing that. But I don't remember being extremely knowledgeable about the uh, issues that a type one diabetic would have while working out. So I probably just kept checking in with you. So I just want to clarify, not because I know in my family, I call my um, half siblings, my siblings, but it's your stepsister. So right. you, you didn't grow up everyday life with your sister. Right, yeah, so it was my stepsister who I've known since I was four, um, but we did not grow up in the same household. Um, and she was diagnosed when she was in high school. I was also, uh, I was in eighth grade at the time. But again, in high school, we didn't grow up together. So like, I didn't see the everyday effects of it. Um, so I didn't really know what it entailed. Right, I was clarifying that because I think the listeners would think, oh, if he has a sister with type one, then he would know a whole lot. And right. I think right. what's interesting is, at least from what I've observed over time, is seeing what you've learned um, from Definitely. working together. So what did you know about type one before we started training together? Um, you know, I basically knew that it was uh, a disease where a person's body could not make insulin um and i knew that that was solved by them giving themselves shots of insulin and i think i pretty much thought that it was like all right you eat this amount of sugar you take this insulin and boom you're good um i thought that it was relatively straightforward and probably more of a mathematical equation than it actually is um i knew that it affected a lot of people. My stepmother was on the uh, board of JDRF in Philadelphia, so I went to galas and things like that and met people that had it and heard people's stories. So I knew there were there could be complications to it, but I don't think I really knew much about the day-to-day living with it. Do you think working with me has opened up your eyes to that? Yes, a hundred percent. Just seeing that how many things factor into what happens to someone's blood sugar and realizing that it's not just simply, I consume this many carbohydrates, let me take this much insulin. Yeah. How do you adjust programming for me as a type one athlete? Yeah, I was thinking a lot about this <laughs> this um, when I was listening to some of the other interviews done on this show. and. 
when they were talking about like what adjustments does the type three have to make? And to be honest, it's, um, I don't really view you any differently than my other clients. Like my other clients all have something that they're dealing with that I have to modify for on a regular basis, right? So it, I think that's just a, a part of my job is going into a session and not knowing what's gonna be thrown at me. Um, as we've worked together over the years, my first thought is I know that you have a pretty good grasp of like what's going on in your body. So most of the time I will defer to what you want to do in a situation if your blood sugar is high or low. Secondly, I have a pretty decent understanding that like doing long, slow cardio is gonna make you drop and doing some heavy, intense lifting will probably make you go up. So, you know, how do I modify? Depends on the situation, but um, there's no set rule and we kind of come up with it as a team, but I think that you know what's going on in your body more than I do and I kind of follow your lead. It's been interesting to see though, the progression of your education as it's grown and understanding type one. And even sometimes you've made suggestions to me when I've been trying to think through a type one issue, like, oh, you know, this, when I do this variable and that variable, I'm seeing this result. And sometimes you've given me um, suggestions that are actually really valid and, and, and work. And I find it funny almost that now it's like, I mean, in a lot of ways, you're part of my care team, quote mm -hmm. unquote, as uh, as my personal trainer and coach. But uh, it's interesting to see from, you know, the early times that when we started working together to now, where you you actually have like valid input on like a situation I might be dealing with, especially if I'm like just seeing a pattern evolve and um, thinking it through and talking it through. Yeah, I also think like if I notice like you're acting differently out of the blue sometimes it's like what's your blood sugar at yeah you and, do that <laughs> yeah um and sometimes it correlates like sometimes you'll be dropping or something and we'll catch it sometimes it doesn't but it's another thought that goes through my head like hmm why aren't you getting this lift today or why are you killing it today in the gym like let's check what the blood sugar is at yeah i know at least once in competition I clearly had just forgotten that I was diabetic for a little while because I was so focused on the competition and you suggested, oh, well, you had, I think, either my watch or my phone to, where I was on, you were on my follow for Dexcom and uh, you were like, oh, let's just check your blood sugar real quick and I was dropping and so it was like great that you were cognizant of it because that would have been a problem in the competition if I would have went on the platform like plummeting down, mm -hmm. we were able to catch it before I got, it was a problem and it didn't affect the lifts, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you ever wonder if I'm using tight one as an excuse at the gym <laughs> or to not go to the gym or, you know? Um, I mean, I think in some ways we all, like, like I said earlier, like everyone has their shit that they're dealing with. And sometimes that gets so bad and so overwhelming that we will use it as an excuse to like not go to the gym, even though we probably could find a way to go. Um, but that being said, no, it's not often that like you use it as an excuse to get out of the gym because you actually, <laughs> like the gym might be your favorite place in the world. Uh, it's definitely my favorite place in the world. <laughs> so, 
So, like, no, I think, um, you know, sometimes if you're not getting a lift and you're like looking for answers as to why you're not getting this lift up today, you're like, oh, my blood sugar is all over the place, goddamn diabetes. <laughs> and I'm like, that happens to people without diabetes too. Like, well, I mean, not quite the same. Not quite the same, but we all have our bad days yeah. and our yeah. good days. And it's sometimes very difficult to pinpoint exactly why. Um, but no, I don't think you use diabetes as an excuse to get out of anything fitness or lifting related because you love to do that. Maybe sometimes cardio. Maybe cardio. <laughs> yeah, when you're teetering on the low side. Yeah, that definitely might err to be safer than sorry. You right. <laughs> what do you think, what was the most surprising thing about type one that you've learned since we've been working together? Um, really like, how no matter how hard you try, it is impossible to control too a T like there is no mathematical equation on how to control this thing because every little thing in your life affects your blood sugar and that is the major thing that I've learned over the years of working with you is that it's not just carbohydrate intake it's other macronutrient intake fat being an easy example um, it's sleep it is the amount of lifting that you do. Like last week, you did a two a, two a day yeah. and that messed up your blood sugar like, like crazy. <laughs> um, so it's on, on that end of the spectrum, doing too much cardio will mess up your blood sugar. Having too much stress in your life, not getting enough sleep, uh, getting sick, things like that. Like So just the sheer number of variables. The sheer number of variables has really been eye-opening. And no matter how hard you try to control something <laughs> it's okay to be like there's too many variables to control this but you gave it your best shot so embrace the unknown are you uh, alluding to my control freak <laughs> <laughs> a little bit do you think that working with me has uh, changed the way that you would relate to your sister now or has it changed the way that you relate to your sister with regard to diabetes? Um, I mean, I definitely understand, I think, anyone with type 1 diabetes a little bit better now and, like, the things that they go through. Because, you know, I see you, you know, on average probably three sessions a week, which can be up to, like, six hours a week, right? right? So, like... I see these ups and downs. I see the stress that it creates in your life. Um, so in terms of that, yeah, like I feel for anyone that has type one, like it is a pain in the ass. <laughs> but, I'll co-sign that. <laughs> yeah, like, um, so it, it's definitely made me uh, more sympathetic to what she has to go through on a, on a day-to-day basis. It's it makes me wish that I could do more to help her. Uh, and in the same right, like to help anyone with this disease. Yeah. But. So you actually uh, were a Dexcom for a little while, about a year or so ago when I went from the Dexcom G5 to G6, I had um, extra sensors and a little bit of life left on my transmitter. So we uh, slapped it on you. Yep. I was wondering if you could talk about that experience. Yeah, 
Uh, honestly, I was like, I think the thing that blew me away the most was how little my blood sugar change compared to what I see in your tracking. Like, listen, I have a sweet tooth. So I was like, I was eating sugar. I was like testing it out to see what would happen. And it would go up, but it would like come right back down pretty quickly. Like there were not all of these huge spikes that lasted for a long time or huge valleys that lasted for a long time. For the majority of things, like sure it would spike, but it would come right back to, um, you know, around somewhere around 80, like pretty quickly. And was, I, I, actually, from observing you with it, I felt like you were disappointed. I was. <laughs> I was disappointed because also like, um, you know, I have training in nutrition and stuff. And like, one of the big things that they talk about is like uh, white carbohydrates or quick carbohydrates and like they really spike your uh, blood sugar levels. So you should stick with brown carbohydrates or slow acting carbohydrates so that you have more of a, a steady spike in your blood sugar levels. And I was like, well, that's bullshit. <laughs> Like mine went up, but they came right back down. Yeah. Um, and by up, I saw your graph. It was like yeah. maybe ten points. Like yeah. I don't think you crested over ninety-five. Like yeah, and I'm I'm interested. Like I wonder how much my fitness level played into that. Like I'm a yeah, pretty we talked fit about that person. When you did it. I remember. Right, like if someone wasn't as fit as me, would it be more towards your end with bigger peaks and valleys? Um, but yeah, and I kept, and you gave me the uh, the pricker. Right, because you had the G5, so it still had to be calibrated. So I right. gave you a machine and a lancet and all that stuff. And I was doing that over and over again, <laughs> hoping to see something. I was That's like, what I found the most comical, because the reason why we wear the Dexcom, well, I mean, there's tons of reasons why we wear it. Obviously, the arrows help so much, but it's to stop, and it reduces the number of finger pricks, and you were, like, finger pricking like finger crazy. I was finger pricking like crazy, yeah. <laughs> you kept sending me screenshots of the yeah. of the machine instead of your Dexcom. I was like, stop, <laughs> stop finger pricking. <laughs> yeah, but I kept wondering, like, maybe this thing's broken or something. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, and that also made me be like, wow, I really take this for granted. Like, my body does a really good job at handling all of the sugar that I can throw in it. Good uh, job, Steve's pancreas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, rub it in already, would you? <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was really just like that's it. That's all. It's going up, and that's all. And see, I don't even think I went down at all. Like it never really dropped yeah. below. It ne it never had a like. I never made too much insulin that I went low. And you tried doing cardio, I think, with it too uh -huh. to see if you could like. Yeah. Create anything. Stay. You were just so disappointed that your pancreas was working so yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. I expected to see something crazier. What but. did you feel about like wearing it? Because you wore it on your arm similar to the way that I usually wear my sensor. Right. Was that like. Got caught on my shirt a million times. <laughs> Every time I put a shirt on, ran, I remember running into the shower door, like just it getting caught. Um, yeah. That's a, another thing that like people without diabetes probably don't think about but that hurts like when it gets caught on your shirt and like yanks on your skin it's like just someone pinches you but that's a pain he has to deal with every day <laughs> it's funny i actually realize um because i wear my sights on my arm so often i wear an omnipod and a, a dexcom and i usually wear them either on 
sometimes two on one arm or one on each. And when I cut corners, I like move my arm to the side no matter what. And actually right today, I don't have any sights on my arms, which I'm really proud of because I've been using my arms too much. And I found myself today when I was turning a corner, I still was cutting my arm away from it just because I'm like conditioned to make sure that I don't hit my arm. So it can change your movement patterns. Yeah, so you're, you're very into movement I'm patterns. I'm very into movement patterns. <laughs> so maybe that's what's bothering your shoulder. <laughs> that you're constantly be a dipping podcast. away from me. Yeah. So you said you had some questions for me. I do, yeah. Um, so I was thinking, um, do you think that you would be a better power lifter if you didn't have type 1 diabetes? Ooh, that's a hard question. <laughs> wow, that is a hard question because I think in a lot of ways, because of how much I have to pay attention to my nutrition and um, you know, making sure that I work out like on a regular schedule so that I have some less variables to deal with, probably makes me a better power lifter. But certainly if I didn't have to deal with highs and lows and the ridiculous amount of planning that goes into making sure my blood sugar's in range or in a good range for whichever activity that we're going to do that day, whether it be you know, a lot of like high rep work, which kind of is more like cardio as far as blood sugar effects, or we're doing one rep maxes, uh, which are my favorite days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. I really don't know the answer. Um, because it plays so much into it's like your so, power lifting. Yeah, I mean, I've been diabetic point. for 23 years and I feel like it's just such a part of who I am at this point and everything that I do and all the decisions <laughs> I make every day. What is it, 180 decisions a diabetic makes a day? This is the meme that went around. I don't know if it's true, I never counted. But um, yeah, I, I think it may have, it may make me a better power lifter just because, like I said, of the kind of uh, rigidity of, of my schedule nutrition-wise and, and working out. Um, I don't think there's like a benefit to the insulin as far as like making me stronger in any way. Uh, I know that some people think that about lifters and I think it's almost asinine to think that given the fact that, you know, all we're doing is replacing the normal insulin that, these folks have already in their pancreas. So the idea that we would get an extra benefit from it is kind of silly, but. Does it piss you off when someone asks you that? A little bit, <laughs> just a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, as long as it's like, sometimes if it's, if it's asked in a way that's like pu purely curious, but if it's like accusatory, yeah, I'll get right. that. Right. So you had said like being a diabetic is so ingrained in how you power lift. So it may be making you better, maybe making you worse. It's so ingrained in your life right now in like all decisions you make. It's ingrained in your friendships, yeah. right? It's, um, it's ingrained in your marriage, mm -hmm. right? So if you could go back to high school and imagine diagnosis day never happened, you never got type 1 diabetes. Okay. Would you do that? 100%. You would? Yeah. Really? I think when people say that they wouldn't give up diabetes because 
of the people that they've met in their life as a result of it um, are being really short-sighted. And, and I say that having some of the very best friends um, that are type one that I, I love dearly. But I think that if I could have a life where my pancreas works and I didn't have to use my brain to be my pancreas all day long, um, and I could just concentrate on what I'm doing at any given moment and not thinking about diabetes, I, I wouldn't. I would give it back in a second. I'm, I want you to look at it from a different perspective, though. Okay. You, you are the type of diabetic that as soon as you see someone else who has diabetes, you like go up to them and you strike up conversation with them. You want to tell everyone that you see about diabetes and educate them on it. You inspire young diabetics and you help uh, the parents of kids who are diabetics. Um, you've helped me understand diabetes. Um, you uh, were written up in a newspaper article about powerlifting and diabetes. So you've had this effect on so many people um, almost because you have diabetes. Well, it's because it's been it's become part of who I am. But I would probably I would be I would one hundred percent be a different person. Yeah. If I didn't have it, but I would still give it back, even though it's so much a part of my identity. To never have to worry about diabetes again, I would give it back. Yeah. Yeah. Even at the expense of knowing I'd lose some of the like my best friends in my life. Um, mm -hmm. um, I'd hope that I wouldn't lose my husband, but even when we met, you know, there was, a, he grew up with someone who's diabetic, so he That's was intrigued struck by up your me. conversation yeah, with him, so, right? <laughs> um, I'd have to think hard on the answer, I guess, if that was a result of, of giving back diabetes. But no, I, I, yeah, when people say they wouldn't give it up, I always kind of like chuckle inside because I think I would just give it up in a second. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, also, I mean, there's so many things like the everyday not well not every day but like just worrying about insurance and you know making sure things are covered i'm very blessed that i have great insurance and i have the means to have some of the best care but you know things can change on a dime and life can change there was a point in high school or actually it was in college where i aged out of the state you know coverage uh the free coverage provided by the state, but I wasn't yet full-time working where I didn't have insurance for a couple months. Um, and I remember my sister having to help pay for my insulin. And there's people that live like that every day. So I know that I'm really blessed. And even though I'm blessed and have some of the best care, I still would give it back. Just, yeah. Just, yeah, I would. I, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I could do all the cardio in the world. <laughs> and you'd be so proud of me. And I'm sure that you would still find a way to touch people's lives just because yeah. that's the person that you are. Oh, I appreciate and, that. <laughs> um, so that, that my final question was, if they found a cure for diabetes, you'd have uh, no problem taking that. Oh yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Well, that would be like the best of the world, of right. all the world, right? I still have all the wonderful ways that diabetes has affected me, but then I get rid of all the crappy ways that it has affected me. Right, right. So, although I, I don't believe that there's going to be a cure in my lifetime, if I'm being honest. Um, mm -hmm. I'm hopeful they might find a cure for like so that people or some kind of vaccination <clears throat> so that people don't 
um, become diabetic. I don't know if vaccination is the right word. I'm an accountant, not a doctor. <laughs> but yeah. um, I think the technology is going to get us so close to what will feel like a cure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're so close now, even with a lot of the closed-loop technology that's out there um, that's hitting the market and uh, that's coming in the next couple of years or even less than a year. So I'm, I'm really um, encouraged by that technology that's out there and hopeful that it will just keep making our lives a little better and have less decisions that we have to make so that maybe it's only 100 decisions a day instead of 180. Um, but yeah, give me the cure. Sign <laughs> me up. Where do I sign? <laughs> what would you tell other coaches who are in my position, don't have type 1 diabetes, but work with someone who does have type 1? I would encourage them to learn as much as they could about um, type 1 from their athlete and because every diabetic is different. Like every person treats their diabetes differently through either different technology, even different insulins. So work with their athlete to understand how their body reacts to the different types of exercise. Like we were talking about cardio versus um, anaerobic, uh, like heavy lifting. And then to do a lot of what you do, which is to not treat me any different, uh, but while still being empathetic, which is, is a fine line to walk. And I feel like you do a really good job of that. Like you hold me accountable, but then when you know that it's something that's really not in my control, or if I made a decision that was the wrong one and now things are out of my control from there, you know, you're empathetic and, and understanding and we pivot when we need to. But at the same time, we try to, you know, keep to our plan and, and accomplish our goals, you know? So I think any coach that's working or about to work with a tight one or, or has a tight one client now should just continue to have that conversation with them and, and ask them what they think they need from their coach. Yeah, and I'd give that recommendation to any coach working, <laughs> working with any just human. Yeah. Be a lifetime learner. How learn. many coaches work with non-humans? <laughs> I coach my dog sometimes, <laughs> but yeah, just keep learning about your client and their needs and their wants and their goals and all of that stuff that's important, whether someone has diabetes or any anything. Cool. Well, I think that's about it. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Since they recorded this interview, COVID-19 happened. One of the many businesses that were forced to close were gyms. Luckily, Roz has some gym equipment at home, and she and Steve have virtual training sessions through video chat. When you're down and troubled and you need some love and care. The Threes is a production of Beta Cell, and it's produced by me, Craig Steubing. A special thanks to Roz and Steve for sharing their story. Our website is betacellpodcast.com. You're most likely listening to this while sheltering at home. So if you're looking for something to do and you haven't written a review of Betacell in the Apple Podcast app yet, now is your chance. Just tap on Betacell and scroll down to ratings and reviews. It really helps other people find the podcast. If you want to buy me a coffee or join the Betacell fan club, there are links to those in the show notes. Thanks for supporting the podcast. I'm Craig, and this is The Threes. Winter, spring, summer, or fall. All you got to do is.